Hello, everyone, and welcome to this week's episode of the Informational Interviews, sponsored by the Actuarial Science Club here at Nebraska. Today, we have Miss Kathy Farrell. Ms. Farrell is currently the Dean of Nebraska's College of Business. Her expertise includes corporate finance, executive turnover, and executive compensation. And she also has prior experiences as an auditor at a public accounting firm. She achieved the designation as a certified public accounting and has over 20 years of experience teaching university courses. Currently, alongside her duties as Dean of the College of Business, she serves as the director on the boards of Nelnet and Assurity. Ms. Farrell, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. We're very happy to have you on today and, you know, kind of have you provide all of your insights during this crazy time that we're all living in right now. So we're really happy to have you here today. Well, thank you for the invitation. I really appreciate it. It's um, kind of challenging right now to, to get engaged or be engaged with people. And so any, any of these kind of opportunities I try to take advantage of so that we can reach more people. So exactly. Well, that's the goal of everything right now is, you know, keep everyone connected because like you said, crazy time, crazy time indeed. But without further ado, um, can you tell me a little bit about yourself and your professional story? Sure. So um, I went to my undergraduate degree is from Kent State University. Uh, and when I graduated or my major was accounting and finance. So I started out actually as an accounting major and then I took a finance class and fell in love with it. So I added finance. So I was a double major. Um, and but I began my career in public accounting. So I sat for the CPA exam and passed the exam and and then earned the designation. Um, with three years of experience. So I uh, started out in the Atlanta, I'm sorry, the Baltimore office, and then uh, transferred to the Atlanta office with what's now KPMG. Um, and my areas of expertise were in uh, <clears throat> college and university audits, banking, at that time it was more savings and loans, and then a little bit of manufacturing. And so when I was in my third year uh, public accounting in Atlanta, I started thinking about what did I really want to do when I grew up, and, um, and that's when I decided to pursue a PhD, and the reason I pursued the PhD was because I ultimately wanted to become a, a college professor, and to be a professor at a, <clears throat> at a four-year institution, you really need a PhD, so for the most part, especially back then, um, and so I went to graduate school at the University of Georgia and decided to pursue finance instead of accounting because that was really my love from a, from a pure academic perspective. So accounting was a great foundation um, for both the graduate work as well as uh, professional experience, but I really wanted to study and teach finance. So, so earned my PhD from University of Georgia when I went out on the job market. I looked nationally and um, came to Nebraska and fell in love with the people um, and the institution. It was the best institution that I interviewed with, but perhaps more importantly, uh, I thought had the best people. So um, came here in 93 to Nebraska and have been here ever since. So I started out as an assistant professor of finance and then worked my way up to a full professor. And then in 2010 started the administrative side of my career, which was started out as associate dean for four years, then two and a half years as department chair, and then assumed the interim role as dean for a year, and then was selected as the as the as the dean moving forward. So I've been in my current role now about two and a half years, uh, so three and a half years total as dean. So it's been exciting. 
That's awesome. And I definitely want to hit on that point where you talked about what drew you to Nebraska was the people there. Um, I definitely saw that as a high, like high school senior coming out of, you know, like just right out of the gate, I kind of saw like the community Nebraska had to offer and just the people here were incredibly nice and incredibly welcoming and, and just everything about them, which just just made the experience that much better, which I, I think that's so cool to kind of see even from a professor's point of view, that was, you know, kind of the same thing that you saw. Um, and I find it even more um, incredibly interesting that you kind of said that you started off as an accountant and then you kind of got into this whole thing of like evaluating what you really wanted to do. And that kind of leads into my next question a little bit. Um, so you talked about at, whenever you were an accountant, you kind of just wanted to see um, what would be good for you. And you decided to pursue that PhD and become a professor. Um, but I was wondering if you could kind of walk us through that process and kind of like what primarily drew you to the field in academia. Sure. So, so when I was, Three years out from my uh, undergraduate degree, I guess actually two years, I sat down and I said, okay, what do I, you know, I really liked public accounting, um, but I also realized that a lot of what I liked were my clients, not actually doing the audit work per se. Um, and I loved the opportunity to learn about different businesses. And so I think what I started realizing is, is I really liked learning. I really liked uh, interacting with people. I, I liked teaching because I had to supervise new auditors. Um, and, and I'd always thought when I was in college that kind of my dream job was being a professor. Um, but I honestly not sure I really knew what being a professor was. So I did a little research um, and reached out to some of my former professors and I got some advice and input and so decided to to go straight for a PhD. So I didn't even get a master's degree because the master's degree wouldn't have opened the doors that I that I needed or wanted opened. So um, so that was kind of what drew me to it. And then I would say that uh, that um, the thing about being a professor that I that I felt was so exciting was the ability to really engage in personally in lifelong learning in the most fundamental way because that's really what research is all about. Um, I get to think about problems that I think are interesting, interesting that relate to the field of finance or accounting more broadly or economics and um, so I get to do research in that space and then I also get to interact with students to, to to teach about a topic that I that I have a lot of passion for. So I feel like I kind of almost get the best of both worlds. So I think it's a wonderful career path for me. It also was something that enabled me to find the kind of balance that I was looking for in a career. Um, I always caution students when they talk about finding balance because it's very personal what that means. Some people's idea of balance is working 80 hours a week because they want that, that type of work uh, experience and energy and engagement. But what's important is understanding what the right balance is for you personally. I knew that I wanted to, to have a career. I knew that I wanted a career that was fulfilling, but I also knew I wanted to have flexibility in my work life. Um, not flexibility in the sense that I would only have to work 40 hours a week, but that I could put in my hours when it was convenient or when I was most productive. Um, so I was able to kind of schedule the beauty of being a faculty member is you can work on your research anytime, anywhere. 
So the only part of my job that had a ton of structure was the teaching component. So gave me a lot of flexibility to have that balance that I was looking for. That's incredibly interesting. Um, what kind of drew you to it and kind of what drew you to it at first was the client work and how you kind of like liked working with people, I'm kind of assuming from that, which is really yeah. cool. And then um, that's really interesting to hear like that even going through the college process, you've oh, this has always been in the back of your mind as like one of, one of your end goals. And, you know, it's, it's fantastic to see that's where, you know, you are today and you, you, you know, you're loving it, living the dream and, and essentially, which is really cool. Um, and I'm really glad you brought up the whole thing about um, achieving balance because that's like a big thing that I found um, students really struggle with um, within college is like defining that for themselves is incredibly difficult to really do. And sometimes I feel um, students really feel that it's expected of them to find that balance right then and there. And I need to define it right then and there and then go for it for the rest of my life and stick with it, which is, you know, not the case and kind of like what we've seen here. Right. And balance is going to evolve and look different over time, right? What, what might work when you're in your 20s might look very different when you're in your 30s and at different stages of your life. Um, I purposefully didn't go into administration until my children were a little bit older. Um, probably, perhaps my youngest would say that I went into it a little too soon um, <laughs> because I lost some flexibility. Um, but that was, but by the time I, you know, was thinking about it, I was further along in the, in the family space that, that I felt I could, I could make that trade off. Um, so, so I think, I think the other thing to recognize is, is balance is, again, it's, it's not, you know, 40% this, 40% that, 20% that. It's, it's really about how is it going to evolve over time. And I think if you're married in particular, have a significant other, it's really important to have those conversations along the way because it'll be, a, to a certain degree, a little bit of a group effort, um, or at least having buy-in from, from the parties most directly involved. So, um, so that, I think, is the other, other piece of it. So I was, I know... Um, the Honors Academy, for example, had a speaker come in and talk to them um, about a, one of the books that they were reading, and it, and it was the CEO from Assurity, and one of the things that he talked about was balance for him, and is is he's a CEO, and he said, I work a lot, but I love to work, and he said, so my wife and I had a conversation very early that that I wasn't going to be home every night by five o'clock and I wasn't going to necessarily be able to be the primary caregiver, but that was a, that was a joint decision that was made. Um, so I think those, those are just really important conversations to have and, and you may not know what it's going to exactly look like, but communicating about it is critical. Exactly. I mean, open line of communication for anything that you do personal and professionally is a key skill that you need to be able to develop early on. Because um, like you said, it, it lays out kind of the groundwork for everything and the expectations for whether it be a project or, you know, a relationship that you have with a significant other. Um, it, there's literally no end to what the, the uh, capabilities that skill can really lead you on or really take you on. Um, you know, in your, your future path and both professionally and personally. So that's, that's really cool to hear and great perspective to gather on that. Um, so kind of, we found out a lot about really what primarily drew you to the field of academia initially. What drives you to stay in it today? What's like the motivating factor? 
So I've always thought of education as kind of being the great equalizer. Um, it helps people learn about the world around them. It helps individuals develop and understand different perspectives. So education in general helps people grow. Um, it can open up your minds to lots of different things that you may not have been exposed to before. And classrooms allow for healthy discussion on difficult topics. And if ever we needed that, I would argue it's today. So, um, so I, I, I believe, I'm a believer, I guess I would say I'm a believer, I'm a believer in education. And so that being my, um, my occupation is just very fulfilling to me. So no different than, than in the past, I feel very fortunate and, and lucky to be able to be in this field. Um, so I'm very passionate about education. And so it's, it's, <clears throat> it's a great space for me to be personally and professionally. Um, so education looks different today, and I think it's perhaps going to look even, I think it's going to continue to evolve, perhaps even more so after the current disruption. I think higher ed is, is ripe for disruption. So what higher ed looks like moving forward, I think is a challenging um, question to answer, to foresee, I guess, really is what I'd be saying, I should say. Um, but I'm excited to be part of the conversation and to try to help steer it in a direction that, that continues to be of high value and impact moving forward. So. Yeah, no, that's, you know, I'm really glad you brought that up about how, especially right now, how incredibly important it is to be able to be that driver in change for especially academics right now. I mean, because that was one of the first things that just had a massive shift of, and alongside with like a lot of work professionally, everyone kind of worked from home at that point. But academics, you know, like when people think of college experience, they think of, you know, being on campus, going to classes, uh, talking to professors, hanging out with your friends, like all these social aspects of where COVID kind of like just came in, took it right out because you're not, you're not able to do that in, in that specific situation. Um, but I'm really glad you kind of brought that up because it's, you know, incredibly, you know, difficult for some students to kind of be able thrown into that position. Yeah. Um, and one of the big things why you're kind of in academics right now and what state allows you to stay there and really motivates you to stay there is the ability to grow students and kind of like that sense of growth that you mentioned early on in the in your responses, you want to see students grow. Um, that's a big thing that I'm sure a lot of professors want from their, for their students and just absolutely love to see. So, I mean, that's fantastic to see. Yeah. Um, so over the years, I know you said you, you taught like a few finance courses and stuff like that and you fell in love with finance. So I'm guessing this one's going to be a finance course, but I want to find out specifically which one. But over the years, what has been one of your favorite courses to teach and what value did the course bring to the students that took it? Sure. So just to give you perspective on what I've taught, I primarily teach in the finance area and I've taught all levels. I've taught PhD, MBA, and undergrads. Um, at the undergraduate level, I've primarily taught advanced corporate finance and then the banking class. Um, and then at the graduate, in the graduate level, it's all been corporate. So that in and of itself tells you that my area that I enjoy is corporate. Um, so that's probably not surprising. So probably my favorite class is the advanced corporate finance class. And when I taught it, which was 
quite a while ago. It was early in my career. Um, it was considered the finance major capstone course. So a lot of my students took it their senior year, many of them the, the semester that they were graduating. So what I didn't like about the class is a lot of the students I met were graduating, which means I, I developed a relationship with them and then they left. Um, so that was the disadvantage. Uh, but the advantage was it was all students who were required to take it so, and were finance majors. So typically you have students that are selecting into a topic area that they enjoy. Um, and because it was the capstone course, I was the one that kind of had the opportunity to try to help the students figure out how it all comes together. And, and that's what I really like is, is to, to, to help them see how ec finance is really just applied economics that uses a lot of accounting information. And so it's really kind of helping them see all the interrelatedness across the disciplines um, and then how you utilize that information to make sound decisions. And so a lot of critical, um, critical decision making, I guess, would be a strong underlying element of the course. And um, I found it so satisfying when, one, I would see the students, the light bulb go off in their head when, when they kind of saw it all coming together. And two, uh, when I felt like I really um, ignited an even stronger passion for the subject matter. Um, I had a former student that went on to get a PhD in finance. Um, so I now have a colleague at, the, at Penn State University who is an undergrad of mine and has her PhD and she's a tenured professor at Penn State. So that's pretty cool. Um, I have former students that are CEOs of companies, um, uh, CFOs, uh, so it's just exciting now to see the successes of a lot of those students, um, many of whom I still keep in touch with, some of whom I even exchange Christmas cards with. So it's just it it's just kind of cool to to have had that opportunity to make to have that impact and make those connections. Um, so that was really those. That class was was my favorite class. It's easy to teach something when you're passionate about it. I should say it's easier to teach something. I shouldn't say it's easy because it's not necessarily easy, but it's easier when you're passionate about something. And in corporate finance, there was a lot of topic areas that, that I would get really excited about. When I would teach the banking class, it was funny because when we would get to the more pure corporate um, kind of corporate governance topics, I think the student, students would notice a difference in my delivery because I would get really excited about it. And it was because it was the part of the class that was, was more corporate and it was really fun for me to, to get, get excited about. Not to suggest that banking's not fun, but I, <laughs> but I think you could definitely see a difference. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Um, that's like awesome to kind of see that one of the biggest things that brought I guess value to the students was it was an area of their choice. They were able to choose the class that really kind of drove them to the direction where they were most likely going to end up, you know, in the long future, um, which is really cool to kind of see that. I mean, you influence CFOs, you influence CEOs. I mean, you have a colleague now at a rival Big Ten school that right. is also, you know, a finance uh, like person, which is like, 
awesome to kind of see. Um, I'm sure dealing with like football, I'm, like, is she a big football fan? The one at Penn state? <laughs> I'm yes. sure that that hasn't yeah. been very fun to deal with lately. Yeah. Unfortunately, well, so she, she got her degree from Purdue, so her PhD's from Purdue, and she started out. Um, where was she? Because uh, she was at American University for a while, so she's been at a couple schools that ne weren't necessarily known for football. But she landed at Penn. So she started. That's right. She started at Penn State. Then she went to American. She visited at NYU, and then she went back to Penn State. So she's kind of done a little bit of moving around but yeah so uh, but she's a husker at heart her undergrad is from and she's from Ogallala so she's she's a husker at heart uh, so that's awesome hey that's all that matters at the end of the day I guess right <laughs> but that's so cool like I right. mean corporate finance um is an incredibly interesting topic and like you said it's not easy to teach um but something that you know drives you to be passionate about a certain subject it's just easier for the person that's doing it I guess you could say because it's it's so much more enjoyable to really teach something especially yeah. that you were incredibly passionate about and that you just absolutely love you know the ability to even just like share knowledge on the subject matter and stuff like that and then to see that knowledge that you kind of shared with them to then apply to them later on and and whatever they really do. I mean, that's just got to be cool. the icing on. Yeah, exactly. Cool. Like the icing on the cake and just it is. It is. being able to be a part of that and not only just be a part of that, but be a heavy factor to influence that, which is even cooler. So, wow, that's awesome. So you kind of touched a little bit upon, upon this question a little bit before you, you kind of said that you were uh, basically unsure of how we're going to change. Um, so I don't know uh, if we're like able to dive too deep into this, but um, how do you see COVID-19 really having an influence on universities' future operations, uh, whether it be Nebraska or just universities in general? Sure. So when you think about that question, you can really think about it in two, well, at least two, two different ways. But one is the impact on operations, which I would argue is really kind of more the day-to-day -day in terms of how it functions. Um, and certainly in the near term, what you're going to see is, a, a, is an increased focus from a safety perspective as it relates to health safety. So you're going to see universities um, implementing policies and procedures uh, that relate to masks, that relate to social distancing, that relate to potentially event size. That's still kind of up in the air a little bit in terms of how that would be uh, impacting. You're going to be looking at new um, guidelines around uh, how facilities are cleaned. Um, you know, so one of the things that we're doing in Hawks Hall is a greater emphasis on um, high touch surfaces. So, and, and that means high touch. That doesn't mean every surface is going to be wiped down thoroughly every single, you know, I think we're, we're going to be looking at uh, deep clean every night and then uh, midday clean during the day of the high touch surfaces. So it's going to be handles and, you know, doorknobs and, um, but, but certain things that people never touch or typically don't touch aren't, aren't going to get the same level of attention. So anyway, that was a really long answer to that. But, um, <laughs> but the point being, I would argue that's more an operational type thing um, where, where I see, uh, and, and that's going to be um, things that will evolve over time and modify depending on the situation. Um, whereas I see the bigger 
impact of COVID is, is how it disrupts education in terms of delivery and how it's demanded uh, from the uh, student perspective. So I still believe that uh, undergraduate face-to-face -face education is of high value. I think it's still going to be highly demanded. But at the same time, I see an opportunity to, uh, I don't know if benefit is the right word to use, but the opportunity for faculty to explore alternative pedagogical techniques and technology that could enhance student learning that may not just be a straight lecture or uh, things like that. So, so I think what, what we're gonna, I hope I should say that what we're gonna see is an enhanced experience for students, even those choosing to pursue a face-to-face -face education because we're adopting and, and and learning about and utilizing technology in a different way. Technology has evolved in a different way to support uh, some of the, the social distancing issues. So I see it being leveraged uh, uh, in, a, in a more unique and effective way. So I see that at the undergraduate level, at the graduate level, my expectation is it's already been moving in this direction, but I think it's going to continue to move, at least in business, to a greater emphasis and demand for online education. Um, we've already seen that anyway, um, partly because of the flexibility it provides to students um, who have full-time jobs. Uh, they don't want to stop working and come back full-time. Um, so I see online education to continue to, to expand in the graduate space and continue to be highly competitive, which it already is, like online MBA programs. There's a lot of schools in that space. Um, so I see that as being uh, just accelerated, the push for that. Um, there are some individuals that are, that are I don't know if advocating is probably not the right word, but but maybe predicting is a better word that higher ed is going to end up where you have um, colleges and universities partnering with businesses like, a, you know, an MIT partnering with Amazon or something like that, where they partner with a company to uh, deliver education. And that may in fact happen, but the concern, or I should say the role that I still see uh, for like a University of Nebraska is we have a land grant mission and our mission includes maintaining access. And so it's really important that we, we don't lose sight of accessibility because I believe education is the great equalizer. And so we need to make sure that students still um, students, people still have access to the, to higher ed. I mean, right now, I mean, it's more important than ever, especially kind of like what we're seeing. Education is very important to kind of make sure we're all, you know, making sound yeah. decisions and still, you know, keeping ourselves developing. Um, Cause like, that's one of the big things is why we go to college. We want to develop ourselves into better professionals, better people. Um, Cause I think that's one of the big things that I've always kind of, thought about colleges I love to learn I've always loved to learn and I I want to keep learning um, and that's one of the big things that college offers that it avail uh, offers that availability to really challenge yourself every single year 
and to grow even more every single year. Um, and I'm really kind of uh, glad you brought up how it, this could really disrupt the delivery of how education kind of really shapes itself in the future, essentially. Um, Cause there was a lot of talk about how online classes, like before all this happened about how a lot of people, like a lot of my friends say they, they enjoy online classes much more um, than the in-person lectures. I am total, I guess I'm like old school. I really love the in-person lectures and I will avoid an online class at all costs or something like that. Cause I ter totally prefer the, um, the in-person experience. Um, but given the situation that we have right now, we have to be able to adapt. And that's one of the big things that I think could really, I mean, personally, I think, I mean, you know, this isn't like, you know, me saying like, it's going to happen or anything like that. Um, that universities are going to have to adapt to, um, to students needs because being online could really, like you said, a lot of people with full-time jobs pursuing a, a master's in business. Um, that's really kind of one of the only opportunities they might be able to have to pursue a master's. Is, is that what you've seen in, in like current cases right now? So we at the, here at UNL, we've seen definitely a um, shift towards preferences in the graduate space to online education. And we saw that before COVID. And I truly believe a lot of it's flexibility um, because the, especially given we don't, we don't have an executive MBA program where you come in for like a Thursday, Friday, Saturday kind of thing. And, and we've talked about developing something like that, but that would be a very different um, clientele than if we were to, uh, if we were to have just a pure like part-time MBA program or a cohort based program. So uh, we have, we have definitely seen the online space being one is of high value to, to our students, but students select us partly because that's what they're looking for. So it's a little bit of a selection bias, right? I mean, students have told us that they picked our program because we don't have a residence component. We don't require students to come to campus. And that's in fact, that's what they're looking for. So, so there's a little bit of a selection bias there, um, but that's the market we've kind of found ourselves in that, that we believe we can serve well. Fantastic. You know, that's really cool to kind of hear and see um, how that really impacts us in, in the long run, but just kind of everything in general. So that's awesome. Cool. Um, so this one is kind of a little bit of actuarial specific, but not too much. But um, do you think that the pursuance of a master's in business administration would be beneficial for someone who is pursuing their credentials as an actuary? I do. I think, uh, um, and part of it depends on this, this individual in the sense of how they pursued their actuarial degree. Since like at, at Nebraska, you can go through arts and sciences or business. And I definitely think an actuarial major that goes through arts and sciences, whether it be at Nebraska or anywhere else, could, could, significantly benefit from an MBA because the MBA provides you that general business knowledge that you won't have with an undergraduate degree from a different college. Um, so you won't have the exposure to management and marketing. And uh, so, so I think that's really valuable, especially because I think as you progress in your career, uh, you may have the opportunity or desire to serve in more managerial roles where you have to actually manage people. And I think having an MBA could really complement 
the quantitative aspect of your degree with a little bit more of a qualitative focus. And I think that's really what the MBA would provide. So, so I would argue an MBA would be, uh, would be a, a great addition to an actuary's, actuary's portfolio of credentials. And like I said, the, the beauty, if you, if your actuarial degree is within business, I think that you've already been exposed at least at the undergraduate level to some of the basic uh, managerial um, skills. So, so that, that puts you a little bit ahead in that regard. So essentially it would be another very incredibly useful tool to really develop like, cause that's one of the big things about actuaries is we love to learn. We always love to learn. We always want to challenge ourselves. And that's what I found very consistent with the student population in Nebraska and what I've seen in, in my internships and also just shadowing and talking with other actuaries um, is we, that we love to learn. But I'm really glad you highlighted about the aspect about how we are all about the technical stuff. We love our technical capabilities and we love analyzing big data, essentially. Right. Um, but that's not all of business. We need to be able to have that soft like soft skill side where you're able to communicate this understand other aspects of the business because it's i mean as as much as we actuaries kind of like love to think it's all actuarial and like like we all we do all like the data stuff and like we have to go this way because the data says we have to go this way um that's not the case <laughs> in, a, in a lot of certain scenarios um because i guess one of the best ways to describe it, it is it gives you that other perspective essentially right Right, right. And I think um, I think the other, you, you mentioned the quantitative uh, focus of the actuarial degree. And I think, you know, one of the things that can often happen is you, you are really strong quantitatively, but, but to advance, you need the qualitative skills to be able to communicate what you or your group is working on in a way that is meaningful and effective. Um, so just to give you an example, in accounting, uh, the Department of Accounting at the undergraduate level is implementing a new course requirement that's entirely focused on oral and written communication as accountants. And uh, uh, five weeks is focused on written, and then five weeks is focused on oral, and five weeks is improv. And the idea is to basically help students learn how to communicate on their feet because quite frankly, if you can't communicate, it doesn't really matter how strong your technical skills are if you can't communicate what you've done. And so I think it's recognizing the importance and value of, of, of those two things that are really kind of in, interrelated. So That's really cool to kind of hear. And you said this was for accounting undergrad, you said? And University wow. of Nebraska. That's so cool. <laughs> I wish we could have something like that for actuarial science too. I think that would be really cool. Like, I think the challenge actuarial science has is you guys already have so much that's required. There's not much flexibility left in your program. <laughs> that is very true. <laughs> so kind of, you know, and I think that's where that's where your question about a graduate degree comes in because I think that's where you guys can benefit more from some of those kind of graduate degrees because you just don't have the flexibility at the undergraduate level to, to pile anything else on. Um, so 
Well, that's really cool to kind of see just in general how the College of Business like is able to identify these areas in which we could really develop, you know, the students to be even better than what they are today, which, you know, is what the goal is to really just yeah. go in, develop and be better. So that's fantastic. Um, and then, so last question. Um, so as we said in the kind of your intro, you are director on the board of Nelnet and also a surety. Um, so what do you find is the most intriguing, like as a board member of both of these companies, what do you find is the most intriguing um, of the world of like data analytics within these companies? So intriguing is, a, is an interesting way to, I guess, phrase the question. So I guess what I would say is what I find, um, you know, data informs most all decisions, uh, or, or should inform most decisions in businesses. And, and what we've seen over time is data, data analytics, uh, both the ability to gather data and then the ability to analyze data has, has advanced significantly uh, over the, you know, the, the more recent past. Um, and so what I'm seeing is how important it is for businesses, independent of the ones I necessarily serve on the boards, but all businesses, to leverage data in a meaningful way. And I think that's really the challenge is what's meaningful. What, what kind of data do you need? Um, how do you, you know, I even see that in higher ed is what kind of data do I need to, to manage the College of Business better? Um, the challenge can be that there's so much data out there is, is you know, and, and not all data is good data. Uh, and that's, that's the other part of it is, um, is recognizing that if you make a data driven decision, but you're using poor data, that doesn't mean it's a better decision, right? So, so I, I would say that's probably the, the most intriguing part of, of the uh, problem is, is figuring out how do you assess the quality of data? How do you figure out what is the data that you truly need? How do you get that data? And then how do you leverage it in the most meaningful way? And businesses that are able to, to answer those questions the most effectively uh, and ultimately efficiently are going to be the ones that are the most successful. Um, so data analytics is huge, and any students that, that have strong data analytics skills, I think, are going to be much more prepared to work in the future of work, um, because we really don't know what the future of work looks like, but we know data is going to have a big impact on it. So That's very true, and I'm glad you brought up the aspect of how to define meaningful data because it whenever you first look at a data set it is just incredibly difficult to kind of pinpoint certain aspects that you want to really analyze um that's just one of the difficult things about it and i'm really glad you brought up the whole point of if you don't pinpoint those aspects it's worthless yeah and you're going to make a huge decision based off that which you know could be detrimental and very difficult to kind of really bounce back from um so yeah it's incredibly intriguing kind of to see how the future really shapes around this whole idea of data analytics because it seems like right now people are really starting to really appreciate it i guess like more so and really kind of identify that this is a huge aspect um that will really you know change the industry in the future um but i mean i, I don't even really know where this could take us in all honesty i mean like there's so many different ways that it can really go um, but it's really cool to kind of see 
that it is definitely something that a lot of businesses consider. And it is really something that could, like you said, if you're able to really effectively do it, but not only effectively do it, but efficiently do it, then you're going to be successful as a business. So. Yep. Absolutely. Incredible. Incredible. But that's all the questions I have for you today. Dean Farrell, thank you so much for um, coming on here today. We enjoyed gathering your insights on everything under the sun, ranging from academics to data analytics and, you know, what you found really meaningful to you within the field of academia. So I, I really appreciate you taking out the time and, you know, gathering about your story because you're always telling us in Nebraska, we want to hear your story. We got to hear your story today. So well, thank really you. cool. So I'm really glad I was able to do that and kind of dive into that, which was fantastic. So thank you. Well, I appreciate you asking and I appreciate what you're doing in terms of connecting uh, students with um, business people and professionals. Uh, I think that's a really great, um, great goal and mission that you have in terms of, of doing these podcasts. So thank you for taking the initiative and, and pulling us together. I think uh, I, I'm proud of what you're doing. And so I'm proud and I'm proud of it. And I'm excited that you wanted me to be part of it. So, so thank you for asking. I appreciate it. Well, thank you for the kind words. And like I've said, one of this is one of my passions is to connect students to really kind of keep them developing. Because like you said, you want to keep students growing. I, I try my best to do that as a student as well. And this is one of the main ways that I thought I could do it. So thank you very much. Well, thank you and have a great day. Thank you too.